TalkCatholicTheWebsite.com, your host, Tim Kilcoyne. No agendas here, just the straight and narrow, through Mary to Jesus, the Catholic faith proclaimed and preserved. Hope to see you here every week. TalkCatholic.com with Tim Kilcoyne. It is our Saint of the Month, Saturday, and we have St. Catherine of Siena, one of my absolute favorites and ever so timely for today when we're looking for a voice, a voice on sanity in so many spheres of everything. So, and then we'll finish up with a little more of Father William Casey's book, You Shall Stand Firm, in his chapter, Scandal, Ruin of Souls. But let's hear about one of the greatest feminists, good feminists, in the history of the Catholic Church. From the website, catholic.org. St. Catherine of Siena was born during the outbreak of the plague in Siena, Italy, on March 25, 1347. She was the 25th child born to her mother. That's right, I said 25th child. Be fruitful and multiply. Although half of her brothers and sisters did not survive childhood. Catherine herself was a twin, but her sister did not survive infancy. Her mother was 40 when she was born. Her father was a cloth dyer. At the age of 16, Catherine's sister, Bonaventura, died, leaving her husband as a widower. Catherine's parents proposed that he marry Catherine as a replacement, but Catherine opposed this. She began fasting and cut her hair short to mar her appearance. Her parents attempted to resist this move to avoid marriage, but they were unsuccessful. Her fasting and her devotion to her family convinced them to relent and allow her to live as she pleased. Catherine once explained that she regarded her father as a representation of Jesus and her mother as Our Lady, and her brothers as the apostles, which helped her to serve them with humility. How is that for the prototype family? Despite Catherine's religious nature, she did not choose to enter a convent, and instead she joined the Third Order of St. Dominic, which allowed her to associate with a religious society while living at home. Fellow Dominican sisters taught St. Catherine how to read. Meanwhile, she lived quietly, isolated within her family home. St. Catherine developed a habit of giving things away, and she continually gave away her family's food and clothing to people in need. She never asked permission to give these things away, and she quietly put up with their criticisms. Something changed her when she was 21. She described an experience she referred to as her mystical marriage to Christ. There were debates over whether or not St. Catherine was given a ring, but she was known to often claim the ring itself was invisible. Such mystical experiences changed people, and St. Catherine was no exception. In her vision, she was told to re-enter public life and to help the poor and sick. She immediately rejoined her family and went into public to help people in need. She often visited hospitals and homes where the poor and sick were found. Her activities quickly attracted followers who helped her in her mission to serve the poor and the sick. St. Catherine was drawn further into the world as she worked, and eventually she began to travel, calling for reform of the church and for people to confess and to love God totally. She became involved in politics and was key in working to keep city-states loyal to the Pope. She was also credited with helping start a crusade to the Holy Land. On one occasion, she visited a condemned political prisoner 
and was credited with saving his soul, which she saw being taken up to heaven at the moment of his death. St. Catherine allegedly was given the stigmata, but like her ring, it was invisible. She took Blessed Raymond of Capua as her confessor and spiritual director. From 1375 onwards, St. Catherine began dictating letters to scribes. She petitioned for peace and was instrumental in persuading the Pope in Avignon to return to Rome. She became involved in the fractured politics of her time, but was instrumental in restoring the papacy to Rome and in brokering peace deals during a time of factional conflict and war between Italian city-states. She also established a monastery for women in 1377 outside of Siena. She is credited with composing over 400 letters her dialogue, which is her definitive work, and her prayers. These works are so influential that St. Catherine would later be declared a doctor of the church. She is one of the most influential and popular saints in the church. By 1380, the 33-year-old mystic had become ill, possibly because of her habit of extreme fasting. In January of 1380, her illness accelerated her inability to eat and drink. Within weeks, she was unable to use her legs. She died on April 29th following a stroke just a week prior. St. Catherine's Feast Day is April 29th. She is the patroness against fire, illness, the United States, Italy, miscarriages, people ridiculed for their faith, sexual temptation, and nurses. That's a quick snapshot of her life, and now we'll go into a little greater detail on significant events. She wrote in a letter to encourage a nun who seemed to have been undergoing a prolonged period of spiritual trial and torment. She said, bathe in the blood of Christ crucified. See that you don't look for or want anything but the crucified as a true bride ransomed by the blood of Christ crucified, for that is my wish. You see very well that you are a bride and that he has espoused you, you and everyone else, and not with a ring of silver, but with a ring of his own flesh. Look at the tender little child, who on the eighth day when he was circumcised gave up so much flesh as to make a tiny circlet of a ring. In June 1376, Catherine went to Avignon as ambassador of the Republic of Florence to make peace with the Papal States. On 31 March 1376, Pope Gregory XI had placed Florence under interdict. She was unsuccessful and was disowned by the Florentine leaders, who sent ambassadors to negotiate on their own terms as soon as Catherine's work had paved the way for them. Catherine sent an appropriately scorching letter back to Florence in response. While in Avignon, Catherine also tried to convince Pope Gregory XI, the last Avignon Pope, to return to Rome. Gregory did indeed return his administration to Rome in January 1377. In late November 13. 1378, with the outbreak of the Western Schism, the new Pope, Urban VI, summoned her to Rome. She stayed at Pope Urban VI's court and tried to convince nobles and cardinals of his legitimacy, both meeting with individuals at court and writing letters to persuade others. Regarding her works, her major treatise is the Dialogue of Divine Providence. This had probably begun in October 1377 and was certainly finished by 1378. Contemporaries of Catherine are united in asserting that much of the book is dictated while Catherine was in ecstasy, though it also seems possible that Catherine herself may have then re-edited many passages in the book. It is a dialogue between a soul who rises up to God and God himself. Catherine's letters are considered one of the great works of early Tuscan literature. Many of these were dictated, although she herself learned to write in 1377. 382 have survived. In her letters to the Pope, she often addressed him affectionately simply as Daddy, instead of the formal form of Your Holiness. Regarding her theology, 
it can be described as mystical. She viewed Christ as a bridge between the soul and God and transmitted that idea along with her other teachings in her book, The Dialogue. The Dialogue is highly systematic and explanatory in its presentation of her mystical ideas. However, these ideas themselves are not so much based on reason or logic as they are based on her ecstatic mystical experiences. In one of her letters she sent to her confessors, she recorded this revelation from her conversation with Christ in which he said, Do you know what you are to me and what I am to you, my daughter? I am he who is. You are she who is not. This mystical concept of God as the wellspring of being is seen in the works of the ideas of Aquinas and can be seen as a simplistic rendering of a more rudimentary form of the doctrine of divine simplicity. Pope Pius II himself from Siena canonized Catherine on June 29, 1461. Now, let's get to her writings from com. Well, here is an excellent one for this anti-Christian climate that we clearly are in these days, wacky as it gets. St. Catherine tells us, Start being brave about everything. Drive out darkness and spread light. Don't look at your weaknesses. Realize instead that in Christ crucified, you can do everything. There's a positive Christian and one of great fortitude. I love this saint, especially, you know, for her strength of character and courage. Think about the dignitaries and the popes themselves that she was in conversation with, really telling them out of fraternal correction, get back to Rome. Papacy should not be over here in France. So this was a a good feminist a truly great woman leader of her time. And she was simply fearless. And we need, like, let's say, the momsforliberty.org and organizations like that to save our country. And dare we say, how about an organization like that for our church? You moms have great power. Use it for the good. The next quote, you are rewarded not according to your work or your time, but according to the measure of your love. Very St. Therese-like. It's all about love. As an old good priest friend, radio priest for that matter, Monsignor Bob Gust, he wrote a book called Love is the Message I Heard. And this is done sometimes in the invisible little mundane things. For most of us, that tends to be the norm. It's not the great visible fruit. For most of us, it's hidden. And so what is our effort? The holy effort is the measure of your love for God. I love this one. Preach the truth as if you had a million voices. It is silence that kills the world. Oh, oh, I love you, St. Catherine. It is silence that kills the world. Is that not the ultimate truth? Edmund Burke said, all that has to happen for evil to prevail is good men to say nothing. Silence can be a great desert between you and God. But there comes that time when you've got to be the witness for him. And unless you're a monk, that time is just about every day. Here's a great one for young people, especially too often consumed with the external. She says, what is it you want to change? Your hair, your face, your body? Why? For God is in love with all those things and he might weep when they are gone. Very beautiful. Remember, it is his body that he created, not yours. And he doesn't make mistakes. So work with what you got. A soul cannot live without loving. It must have something to love, for it was created to love. Very similar to St. Augustine's, our hearts are made for you, Lord, and will not rest until they rest in thee. And remember, 
as a single guy, I can say this with great certitude and force. It's not necessarily a soulmate because God might call you to be single or a priest or a monk, etc. So what is it that you need to grow into love with? That which God has given for you to pursue. So what your gifts are, find them. They will be a great joy. And as you bring them to perfection, even greater joy. This is an excellent one. To the servant of God, every place is the right place, and every time is the right time. You know, so many of us are always thinking ahead, never smelling the roses where we are, and wondering, I got to get to another place from where I am now, and that's the only reason you're doing what you're doing. No, 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 no. As Mother Teresa would also say, you know, blossom, flower, where you're planted. Where you are is the vineyard for souls. And by the way, that includes your neighbor, your actual neighbor. We forget about them way too often. And that's why Mother Teresa said what she said. She was saying, look, you don't have to travel 3,000 miles across the globe to uh, cater and serve strangers because they're right next door. Next quote, we are of such value to God that he came to live among us and to guide us home. He will go to any lane to seek us, even to being lifted high upon the cross to draw us back to himself. We can only respond by loving God for his love. The Christian faith, absolutely, that God is constantly calling us home. And this home, well, we can have reflections of it in our own home, but we are pilgrims. We are strangers down here, and it's a short book really. I know to young people that sounds a little crazy, but they'll figure it out a few years down the road. It's a short chapter when you look at eternity, and God brought us to the cross to show us the door. Here's a short one to the point. The devil fears hearts on fire with love of God. Precisely what we need in the church, from the pulpit, and in the pews. Hearts on fire. There's an old book by Professor Alan Schreck called Hearts Aflame, and he talks most poignantly about this desire for the Holy Spirit in our lives to light us up to the world. That flame is possible, ladies and gentlemen, for everyone, not just consecrated religious, etc. This is a great gift of the Holy Spirit bestowed at Pentecost, and that Pentecost didn't stop. He's just waiting for you to ask. And finally, of what should we be afraid? Our captain on this battlefield is Christ Jesus. We have discovered what we have to do. Christ has bound our enemies for us and weakened them that they cannot overcome us unless we so choose to let them. So we must fight courageously and mark ourselves with the sign of the Most Holy Cross. Oh, is there a better, a better sign against all the other signs of the evil world that has been upon us for too long now. Make the sign of the cross everywhere. This is WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. So we are in Chapter 9, Scandals in the Church, Ruin of Souls, from the book You Shall Stand Firm, Preserving the Faith in an Age of Apostasy, by Father William Casey. And he says, after our last session, he spoke about what his experience was in traveling all throughout the country and doing many parish retreats and missions, he put it on the platter about what God's people have been waiting for relative to truth 
on a platter. And so in any event, he continues on. He says, They have had enough of the irreverence at Mass, the liturgical abuses, the mishandling and trivialization of the sacred species. In short, I am telling you that the vast majority of rank-and-file Catholics who are the ones still sitting in the pews on Sunday are trying to hold on to their faith. They've had enough of the doctrinal dissent and moral corruption in their church and the scandal that follows from it like night chasing after day. Understand this. There is not now, nor has there ever been, a, quote, new American, do-your-own-thing-whatever-turns-you-on, feel-good Catholic Church, unquote. All of that is a sham. It is demonic, and the Holy Spirit wants no part of it. If we do not put an end to this nonsense sooner or later, then God will. And it is going to get a lot uglier than it is now. Call it what you will. It comes in many different forms and under many different names and disguises. Call it lukewarm Catholicism. Call it cafeteria Catholicism. Call it theological modernism. Call it liberal American Catholicism. Call it rationalism or moral relativism or whatever else you choose to call it. But know that this is a fatal disease. It's a killer. And it ultimately leads to the paralysis of faith and the ruin of souls. Lukewarm Catholicism in its various forms can be rooted in many things. No foundation in sound catechesis. Weak faith. Loss of faith. Moral laxity. Habitual sins. Lack of prayer. Pride. Material prosperity and the laxity that comes with it. Spiritual sloth. Sheer laziness and worldliness. It is a mindset that seems to have permeated everywhere in Catholic life today. It has crept into our parochial schools, Catholic colleges and universities, Bible studies, RCIA, and other religious education programs, chancery offices, and liturgical preaching have all been affected by it. A friend once told me about an RCIA class he attended that was taught by two nuns. At one point during the class, these two nuns got into a debate with the converts about the real presence of our Lord in the Holy Eucharist. One side was defending the real presence, and the other side was denying it. Which side do you think was defending the real presence? The converts were. Oh, God bless them. I have heard about another RCIA class also taught by a nun. The subject was salvation. This nun was teaching that Christians are saved by Jesus, that Muslims are saved by Muhammad, that Buddhists are saved by Buddha, and the Hindus are saved by Rama, Shiva, and Vishnu. All of these lies are the rotten fruits of lukewarm Catholicism. Religious syncretism, or indifferentism, the idea that one religion is as good as another and that one Savior is as good as the next is the deadly error of our time. All of us are sinners in need of God's mercy. All of us are subject to the effects of original sin and our fallen human nature. We need to be honest with ourselves and examine our consciences. If you recognize the telltale signs and see some of the symptoms in yourself, in your home, or among your family, parish, or community, the time has come to do something about it. You start by making changes in your own life. My mind is going to my rosary on a Monday, the Joyful Mysteries. In the last decade, we pray about the finding of Jesus in the temple. And I often offer that decade up for all those who were baptized and confirmed in the Catholic faith, who are simply not walking in the faith anymore. Some of them are downright hostile to the faith, very much fallen away and determined not to come back. And yet they love talking about that anger. And then we have the perennial millennial, no worries. Everything is no worries. Amazing. In our wacky, evil world, no worries. An agnostic, at best, maybe a nominal Catholic, but deep down, they're not all caught up in the great debate. Let's just put it that way. 
And then the cafeteria picking and choosing Catholic, which all too many Catholics are right in that category, especially regarding contraception. They just decide which parts of Catholicism float their boat as if they are their own authority. And then I would add what we might call the egalitarian Catholic. All gods are the same. Just be a good person. Isn't going along to get along what it's all about? Is that not the secular religion of man, of our time? Exactly what the New World Order proposes soon. Don't worry, they'll get there. The golden calf is coming. No, all these shades of quote-unquote Catholicism is the problem because none of them constitute the Catholic faith. That we can't be fired up like our brother and sister evangelicals because they actually know their scriptures. They may not know magisterial thought and tradition, the doctors of the church, the sacramental life, etc., but they know those scriptures, chapter and verse, and that at least leads to a healthy discussion, as Mother Angelica would always say, let's talk about Jesus. Well, they can, and we can't. And until we're willing to just get to the table, well, we're easy prey for all of what Father Casey has just submitted. And in fact, I believe I heard it said that over 50% of most evangelical congregations are former Catholics. So that means that many were hungry at one time, and they left. We had the truth, but we wouldn't speak it. I used to have a a gentleman friend that came to my Catholic adult ed program, and he was a convert, and he would go to the Catholic church for mass on a Sunday, and then he would quickly exit off to the Protestant little white church for his catechesis, his adult education. When we don't know our faith, we become prey to every conceivable anti-Catholic ideology. It's finger to the wind. The Catholic faith is true and unchanging 2,023 years. And it may have a different style of delivery given an epoch of history, the customs and times in which you're living and the languages used. Sure, the delivery can change in order to express the essential unchanging truths. And this is why I've been focused so much on this synod on synodality, because that's the ultimate consequence when the church's hierarchy herself is willing to adopt all the concepts of that secular religion of man, not God. And when the hierarchy strays, then it's truly lights out. To finish up, Father says, Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen used to say, history has proven that calamitous events come upon the church in 500-year intervals. In October of 2017, we observed the 500th anniversary of the start of the Protestant schism. Here we are 500 years later after that schism, and I would add, heading towards another one at the conclusion of the Synod on Synodality. Archbishop Sheen also used to say that before the hand of God comes down upon the world, It always comes down upon the church first, and surely the hand of God has come down upon the church relative to these scandals, as Cardinal Raymond Burke, one of the greats amongst us, said that the sex abuse scandals, this crisis is the worst crisis to come upon the church since that Reformation. So what comes next, Father says, God only knows, but we had better be prepared. And we will be here, I promise, at WQPH Radio 89.3 FM, hardly blowing with the wind, but indeed letting the Holy Spirit speak. Have a great week, everyone. Now you can open up the windows to Easter spring 
Enjoy. We invite you to say the prayer to St. Michael the Archangel. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, thrust into hell Satan and all evil spirits who wander through the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Let your light shine. That is what it's all about here at WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. But we need to hear your story. You want your voice to be his voice. That is making the faith known to others. Please, my number is 877-625-3727. Tim Kilcoyne, TalkCatholic.com. St. Mother Teresa told us your ministry is your work right where you are. Grab on to this microphone. God bless.